Babita Diokaran was shot by six assassins outside her house in Johannesburg shortly after dropping her daughter at school in August last year. The hit came only three weeks after Diokaran, who was the chief accountant for the Gauteng Department of Health, flagged a litany of potentially fraudulent payments to suspicious medical suppliers. Among these transactions were payments made to three obscure firms owned by ANC Ekuruleni Treasurer General Selo Sekoko. Diokaran chose to blow the whistle on the spending irregularities to Health Department CFO Lerato Madio and called for an immediate investigation and a stop on flagged payments. But nearly a year since her death, payments out of Tembisa Hospital are yet to be probed in their entirety. I'm Amy Gibbings, a journalist from News24's Multimedia Department, and you're listening to The Story. This week we'll be talking to Jeff Wicks, a journalist from the News24 investigative team, who explains their investigation into what Dia Karan had sought to expose shortly before she was murdered. You're listening to The Story. It's a podcast by News24. We'll speak to journalists and experts about the week's biggest story. This is what we saw, heard and uncovered this week. Good morning, Jeff. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me, Amy. Can you tell us everything we know about the day Dio Karan was murdered? I know six suspects have been arrested, but perhaps you can just paint a picture of what happened that fateful morning. On August 23 um, last year, she left her home in Winchester Hills and she dropped her teenage daughter at school. She stopped at a shop for some groceries and as she was pulling back into her driveway, a white BMW pulled up alongside her and sprayed the side of her car with bullets. She was shot several times and she died later in hospital. What we now know and are able to put her murder into context using is the fact that she uncovered a mammoth extraction scheme running out of the Timbisa Provincial Hospital and flagged nearly 850 million rand in dubious payments. What did she discover and what had she explicitly flagged with the Gauteng Health Department CFO Lerato Madio? She found that um, expenditure on medical goods and services, specifically out of Tembisa Hospital, had skyrocketed. I mean, uh, this small tertiary hospital with only 840 beds was spending hundreds of millions of rands a month more than the large academic hospitals in the province. Then she looked at the companies who were doing business with the hospital and she found that there were hundreds of nameless, faceless companies with no public presence whatsoever invoicing the department huge sums, but importantly, the sums were all between 400,000 and 500,000 rand. And that, for forensic investigators, always raises the question of split invoicing. And for invoicing the maximum amount below the 500,000 rand cap, because once that cap is hit, um, the, the procurement then needs to go to a public process and there's much more stringent tests that need to be applied to that buying. So what we saw was thousands of purchase orders in a matter of months flooding out of the hospital, and that's what she blew the whistle on. And then what she discovered was these three firms tied or owned even by Selo Sekoko. Can you just explain that connection to us and, and what she discovered there? 
Yes, so one of the first companies to appear on her radar was a firm by the name of Kaizen Projects. Now, um, we know from the evidence that we've obtained during the course of this investigation that she was very skeptical about Kaizen Projects. She Googled it and she was quite alarmed when they had no web presence or official website, considering the amounts they were billing the hospital. We know from her WhatsApp chat history that she raised this directly with Lerato Maggio and Critically, Maggio, in response, said that she hated dealing with politicians. And, and that to us is instructive. That tells us that Maggio must have at least known who was operating behind this little-known company. What Diocran didn't know and what our investigation has found so far is that he, in fact, had three companies billing Tembisa Hospital all at the same time, all for medical equipment which ranged from hospital beds to masks. and. On the strength of quotations that we sourced for some of the same products, we can conclusively say that he was putting vast markups on the products he was passing on to Tembisa Hospital. And then we think, what was the end destination of that money? Oddly, several months after she was killed, he runs a successful campaign to become ANC Treasurer General in Ekoleni, leaving us with a probable conclusion that money came from public funds and paid for his election, which he denies, but is yet to provide proof to the contrary. I think what's interesting to note, I know that in his response, he says, you know, I'm a middleman, I'm a businessman, this is how we operate, we add a mark on. But with these crazily inflated markups, that's not how an operator operating within the public good should be marking up. That's what private businesses do, and that, that's not the case or shouldn't be the case in these instances. Am I correct? No, well, I, I think we have to separate uh, or we need to draw a line between a moral obligation and an obligation to the law. And if you look at the moral obligation, yes, it's, it's affronting to know that someone who occupies public office and is technically a public official is doing business solely with the state in several provinces and refuses to divulge how much he's making. The second thing is, where does he lie when it comes to looking at the law? Now, I don't have the full range of documents. I asked him for them so I could compare his prices, and he um, decided not to give those to us, which, of course, is his right. But what we know from the specific purchase order of head blocks, which we assert was inflated 533%, is that three quotes were obtained as per the law for those head blocks, and he was the cheapest. It just makes you wonder how three firms with no connection to one another would all massively inflate their prices. In the best case scenario, it speaks to negligence from the procurement section in terms of value for money assessments on what they're buying. And at worst, it raises the specter of cover quoting, which we don't have evidence for, but it's certainly what Babita was concerned about. And that's why she called for a forensic investigation. When sourcing goods for public entities, surely there are certain rules that one must abide by with or abide by to prove that you went and got the cheapest so that the state can get the best value for their money. Are there normally checks and balances in place to make sure of that? Absolutely. I mean, the um, PFMA and other spending legislation makes it very rigorous in terms of the process when um, it comes to public funds. However, we can't walk away from the sheer volume of purchase orders coming out of what is really a, a rather small hospital c compared to other facilities. You know, they pushed out 1,203 purchase orders in the space of three months. And compared to nine other hospitals 
combined, it was triple that amount. So there, for us, at, and, and, and we hold, and we certainly think we share the views of Babit Diokra and that there was no smoke without fire, and this needed a detailed forensic investigation. We haven't seen that because three weeks after she recommended that, she was assassinated. And in the intervening time, the Department of Health tells us that they instead did a randomized audit with no particular focus on the hospital that so worried her. What does this say about whistleblowers in South Africa in general? I saw Mandy Wiener wrote a good piece about legislation needing to be better to protect and incentivize whistleblowers in South Africa. This is only going to scare people. What do we do in order to encourage people like Babita to come forward? I don't think I can underline strongly enough the grave concern that the fact that no mastermind has been arrested for her killing holds for this country. It sends a message that those who stand against corruption and place their jobs in jeopardy also place their lives in jeopardy. For us, the link is clear. On the 3rd of August, she reported massive corruption out of Timbisa Hospital, and the days after that, she told her colleagues that her life could be in danger. And that became prescient, because three weeks after she put her hand up, she was assassinated. And the true cost of her death is not only the tragedy to her family, but really it's the greater national cost that we will probably never be able to measure. And that cost will be all of the corruption that goes unreported because people are simply too scared to be killed. I think what is so frightening to me is the blatancy of it all. It it wasn't even really tried to be covered up or disguised as anything else. It's all just so obvious. And I think that's what scares me the most. But Jeff, where do we go from here? What's next? Are there any sort of inklings of an investigation, a proper investigation underway? How far the hawks in investigating her murder? Where do we sit right now and where do we hope to get after we create even more exposure around her death and the exposed corruption? Well, the Gauteng Department of Health tells us that um, they did a randomised audit and they've, they've identified weaknesses in their systems which they are addressing. And, you know, to us that rings somewhat hollow because the more we find during the course of our investigation, the more they are going to be shown up. What needs to happen from that perspective is that there needs to be a detailed forensic investigation into the spending patterns of Timbisa Hospital, who was involved, who authorised it and where the money went. That means we need the involvement of an internal or uh, an independent investigative body or the SIU. Because the worst case scenario, um, if an investigation takes place and they find no wrongdoing and everyone is cleared, but at the end of the day we're talking about nearly a billion rand in public funds and the public who pay their taxes deserve to know where their money is going. From a law enforcement perspective, of course, we've got six men before court, but for all intents and purposes, they are alleged hitmen. They are at the very bottom of the pyramid. It seems common cause at this stage that Babita was killed for a reason. And then if we understand that narrative, we say there must be someone who ordered this killing somewhere out there. And 10 months later, we've yet to see an arrest. And all we are met with is the popular refrain of the Hawks to say that the case is active and divulging any information would place it in jeopardy. And Selo Sekoko, he's come out 
quite bold in defending himself, but hasn't really seemed to show much remorse for what has actually happened to Diokaran. I mean, I suppose he wouldn't necessarily. I don't know if they had any relationship. But there doesn't seem to be much shock or remorse coming from other players involved in this whole case. Well, you know, Mr. Sukoko is a very charming man, and I, I had the opportunity to sit down with him on top of sending him written questions. So he had the fullest um, array of opportunities in terms of responding how he wanted to. And, you know, from, from his standpoint, is he said he was completely unaware he was ever investigated or that the payments to his companies were investigated, rather. And uh, had he known, he would have cooperated fully. But notwithstanding that fact, he said he's done nothing wrong. He's operated his businesses in good faith, and he is a man who's trying to make money, and he supports his staff. But what makes it inescapable for him is the fact that these are public funds, public funds which were released to his company within days of them being flagged as potentially fraudulent. And uh, I'm confident that the truth will out. And if Selo um, Sikoko's dealings with Timbisa Hospital are found to be above board, then certainly we will say that. But then it calls into question um, procurement processes within the hospital because products across the board seem to have been vastly inflated in terms of price. And I see the DA have requested Madio to be immediately suspended. Do you think that that will likely happen? Well, it, it remains to be seen, and we're still very early in this process. And let me just say our, our, our team has been working very hard on this project for several months and, and will continue to throw the, the, the full heft of, of this investigations team behind it because there's much more to be exposed. We believe that we're on the trail now, and uh, we're coming across very interesting things that will be revealed when we're ready to. Um, whether or not Madio is suspended is actually inconsequential. What, what needs to happen is there needs to be an urgent investigation launched, whether she's in her office or not. Even though Dio Karan was so tragically murdered in such a brutal way outside her house, I do like to think that her murder wasn't in vain. Her death wasn't in vain, rather. Either way, we are now looking at what she wanted us to look at. And so I like to think that the in quote bad guys haven't gotten away with it yet and we can still do what is right by Dio Karan but unfortunately that's all we have time for today Jeff thank you so much for joining us that was Jeff Wicks journalist from the News 24 investigative team that's all we have time for this week I'm Amy Gibbings producer and host of the story thank you for joining me every Saturday as this will be my final podcast for News 24